Welcome to the Shepherd's Voice with Pastor Johnny Awanyo. This simple, scripturally sound preaching and teaching of the Word of God will direct you to Jesus, the Good Shepherd. Follow the Shepherd's Voice into the green pastures that God has purposed for you. There, you'll find rest for your soul and the fulfilled Christian experience you crave. God bless you as you listen. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. Amen and amen. Lift up your hands unto the Lord, everybody. Thank you, Jesus. We give you thanks. We bless your name. Thank you, Lord. I just want to be where you are Dwelling daily in your presence I don't want to worship from afar Draw me near to where you are Can you sing it again with me? I just want to I just want to be where Dwelling daily, dwelling daily in your presence. I don't want to worship. I don't want to worship from us. Draw me near to where you are. Draw me near to where you are. I want to be where you are. I want to be where you are. Dwelling in your presence. At your table, surrounded by your glory, oh, in your presence. That's where I always want to be. I just want to be. I just want to be with you. I want to be where you are. at your table surrounded by your glory oh, in your presence that's where I always want to be I just want to be I just want to be with you In your presence is where we long to be. Because everything that we need and everything that gives meaning and purpose to our lives we can find in you and in you only. And this morning here we are in your presence again. We thank you that your presence is here. We thank you that your spirit your power is available. I pray in the name of Jesus that you will touch each and every one of us, particularly as your word is about to come. May that word come to strengthen and lift us higher in our knowledge of you and in our relationship with you. 
I thank you, Father, that we'll be blessed today because we came in Jesus' mighty name. And let everybody say, Amen. amen. Say a louder, amen. amen. Clap unto the Lord, everybody. God bless you, and you may be seated. Turn your Bibles with me, please, to Deuteronomy chapter 1. Deuteronomy chapter 1. Omega, how are you? Blessed. Deuteronomy chapter 1, reading verse 5 to 7. While the Israelites were in the land of Moab, east of the Jordan River, Moses carefully explained the Lord's instructions as follows. When we were at Mount Sinai, the Lord our God said to us, You have stayed at this mountain long enough. It is time to break camp and move on. I will end the reading there. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Everybody say thanks be to God. The people of Israel stayed at Mount Sinai for nearly one year. Specifically, it was about 11 months. And after this period, God gave the instruction that it was time for them to break camp and move on. In other words, it was time for them to progress and advance. Hallelujah. There's a question that we can ask ourselves. That throughout this period of almost a year, what were they doing there? Why did they stay on Mount Camel, uh, Mount Sinai, I beg your pardon, for nearly one year? Why did they not march on straight away to the promised land? When you read Exodus chapter 17, for example, you will see that you see that in that chapter they fought against the Amalekites and God gave them a very resounding victory. The question is that why did they not press on from there? Excuse me. Hallelujah. Why did they not press on from there, fight all the other nations, overcome them, and speedily enter into the promised land? Why? What were they doing during this period of one year on Mount Sinai? 
And what exactly was this mountain experience supposed to accomplish? This morning, I'm going to attempt to answer this very important question. And the title of my sermon today is The Mountain Experience. The Mountain Experience. The Mountain Experience. Hallelujah. Now, let me say this to you before I continue. That when you walk with the Lord for some time, you will realize that there is nothing like coincidence with God. And there is nothing like an accidental or an incidental occurrence with God. If you are a child of God, there is a reason behind everything that you go through. And every experience, every occurrence, every situation means something. Now, this is something that I want each and every one of us to grasp. Because you cannot really walk closely with God until you understand this. And when you understand this, it helps you to trust in the mighty hand of God. And understand that he is in control over every situation. Such that what doesn't even make sense to you is fitting perfectly into the grand scheme of events. When you understand that your life is in his hands and therefore there is nothing that can just happen to you, you learn to relax in him and not to worry excessively about anything. By the way, if you are short, if you worry, it won't add an inch to your height. Neither will worrying reduce your height by one centimeter. Because if worrying could increase your height, by now, you'd be taller than who? Who is the tallest person you know? Some of the tallest people you find playing basketball. You'd be taller than all of them. So I'm telling you something very important. Learn to trust God. And believe that whatever doesn't make sense to you in your life. Sometimes even your failures, your mistakes, your shortcomings. Because God is the one who is in control. He has an amazing way of working things out. Working things out. So that at the end of the day, his name will be glorified. And his glory will be seen. May the glory of the Lord be seen in your life. And may God cause there to be meaning in every meaningless experience that you've been through in your life. Can I hear your loudest amen? amen. So what is this mountain experience about? And why did the people of Israel have to spend almost a year on the mountain? 
Ladies and gentlemen, the mountain experience is a necessary part of the journey into progress. Write it down. The mountain experience is a necessary part of the journey into progress. Did you get that? The mountain experience is a very necessary part of the journey into progress. And what it means is that on the journey into progress, there is a need to have a mountain experience. Now, we want to look at the people of Israel and try and identify what they stayed up on that mountain for one year for. Number one, the mountain experience for the people of Israel was a period of instructions and learning. It was a period of instructions and learning. So for the one year that they were there, it was a year when they received a lot of instructions and they learned a lot of things about the God who had entered into a covenant with them. So the first thing we can identify about the mountain experience is that it is a period of instructions and learning. During this period, God gave to the people of Israel his law. And that law is what is summarized into the Ten Commandments. But there are many more aspects of the law that God gave to his people. Different aspects. And what God did during that one year period using Moses, his servant, was to give instructions And he gave them different laws that were now going to define the social, the political, and the religious character of the entire nation. If you were to read through Exodus from chapter 20, where it started off with the Ten Commandments, you would discover that the laws, there were plenty. And it cut across different aspects of life. Some of the laws had to do with social issues. If you kill somebody accidentally, this is what's going to happen. If you steal somebody's property, this is what's going to happen. If you have a servant and then you hit the servant and the servant's eye is lost. That's when the law came. An eye for an eye. A tooth for a tooth. So that was the law. There were different laws that had to do with their religion. How they were supposed to serve God. The different sacrifices that they were supposed to bring to God. And so during that one year period, God was setting in place the structures by which the entire nation was going to exist and was going to operate. So Exodus 24, 3-4, let's look at this scripture. I'm sharing with you about the mountain experience. Exodus 24 verse 3 to 4. 
Then Moses went down to the people and repeated all the instructions and regulations the Lord had given him. All the people answered with one voice. We will do everything the Lord has commanded. Then Moses carefully wrote down all the Lord's instructions. Early the next morning, Moses got up and built an altar at the foot of the mountain. He also set up 12 pillars, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. So you can see that it was a period where they received the laws of God and were taught the laws of God. The first thing, therefore, you can say about the mountain experience is that it is a period of instructions and a period of learning. Number two. The mountain experience was a period of building. Everybody say a period of building. Oh, say it again. A period of building. Now, during this period that they were up there, God directed them and showed them how to build a tabernacle unto him. Look at Exodus 25, verse 8 to 9. Exodus 25, verse 8 to 9. This is God speaking to the people of Israel through Moses. Have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. You must build this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly according to the pattern I will show you. And so during that period, they set about to build the tabernacle of God. And God gave to Moses explicit instructions. Very clear instructions. Look, the measurements were to the to, to the nearest millimeter, if you like. And God told him that be careful and make sure that what you are building is according to the instructions that I've given to you. And so during that period that they were up on that mountain, when it looked as if they were just marking time and it looked as if they were just wasting their time, they were actually embarking. One of the things they did was to build the tabernacle of God. So the mountain experience was a period of building for the people of Israel. Number three. The mountain experience was a period of training. Everybody say a period of training. And during this period, the priests were trained on how to carry out their duties. And so it was a period of training. Let me draw your attention to something. That when God started off with the people of Israel, his plan was that he himself would lead the nation. And as it were, God himself was going to be king of the entire nation. So they didn't have a president, they didn't have a prime minister, they didn't have a head of state. God himself was their president. And God carried out his rule using Moses, his servant, and then also the priests. So Aaron, for example, was the high priest and his sons were assisting him. So in those times, there was nothing like a president, 
members of cabinet, parliamentarians, and not, there was nothing like that. And so the main people that God used in those times were Moses and the priests. And so there were instructions for the priests as to how to go about their duties. Exodus chapter 28 verse 1. Exodus 28 verse 1. Exodus 28 verse 1. Let's read it together. Ready, go. Call for your brother Aaron and his sons Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. Again, there are names here that you can use for your children or your children's children. Okay? Do you like Nadab? Do you like Abihu? Or Eleazar? You like Eleazar? What's the short form of Eleazar? Eli. Is that not so? Yeah. And then you also have Ithamar. Alright? You like Ithamar. Sounds like a girl's name. Ithamar. Now he says, set them apart from the rest of the people of Israel so they may minister to me and be my priests. So there were instructions for them. What they were supposed to do. And there were a lot of delicate instructions for them. So the mountain experience was a period of training. Everybody say again, period of training. And then the last thing about the mountain experience was that it was a period of organization. Everybody say organization. So during this period, God organized them. And the different tribes were properly organized. Leaders were appointed to share in the burden of taking care of the people. Exodus 18, reading from verse 24. The mountain experience. We are going somewhere. So don't get lost. Stick with me and follow me closely. Exodus 18, 24 to 26. Moses listened to his father-in-law's advice and followed his suggestions. Moses' father-in-law was Jethro. He was a priest of Midian. When Moses fled Egypt after he murdered somebody he went to hide out in the wilderness and that's when he met Jethro and um, he, he started taking care of Jethro's um, sheep in fact he spent 40 years with him that's amazing yeah because when he fled Egypt he was about 40 years old when God finally appeared to him through the burning bush he was 80 years old so for 40 years he was in the wilderness. Ask your neighbor, how long have you stayed in your wilderness for? Because they say life begins at 40. So if you spend 40 years in the wilderness, then life has finished. It's finished. He married Jethro's daughter and he had two sons. Now, when he set off on that journey to take the people of Israel to the promised land, I don't know what it was, but he felt that it was going to be very rough. 
So he left his wife and his children. He said, go to your father's house because I don't know where we are going. You know, so he, he, sent, he sent them back. But after they ended up in the wilderness at Mount Sinai, Jethro came with Moses' wife and his sons to come and visit them. And he observed how things were running in the camp. He noticed that from morning till evening, Moses will sit at the door of his tent. And then the people of Israel who had issues, who had problems, this person is quarreling with this person. This person says, I gave this thing to this person. He didn't give it back to me. And they said that this person stole my cow. They said that my goats, you know, went into his farm. And they took a big stick and he killed my goats. And I want to be recompensed. He, so many issues. So they will line up in front of Moses' tent from morning till evening. So Moses will call the first one. Then go. Then he cried, next. Then the next group will go. Then cry again, next. Then the next group, then cry again, next. From morning till evening. Jethro observed this for some time and he said to Moses, Papa, what you are doing, you will kill yourself and you will wear the people out in the process. He said, stop what you are doing. He then advised Moses and said, select from amongst the people leaders or men of good reputation. Make them leaders of thousands Leaders of hundreds, leaders of fifties, and leaders of tens. And teach them how to resolve issues. Let them deal with the little, little issues. Uh, we were eating together and he ate more than I ate. So it's a problem. He said, let them resolve those issues. Then the bigger ones that are beyond them, the bigger problems that are beyond them, let them bring those issues to you. And this is what the Bible is talking about here in verse 24 of Exodus 18. Have I helped you to understand the scriptures? Wonderful. Moses listened to his father-in-law's advice and followed his suggestions. Next. He chose capable men from all over Israel and appointed them as leaders over the people. He put them in charge of groups of 1,150 and 10. Next. These men were always available to solve the people's common disputes. They brought the major cases to Moses, but they took care of the smaller matters themselves. Hallelujah. Now, this advice that Jethro gave to Moses, I believe was godly advice. Because God never said anything to Moses that don't do it. And now, as if to confirm the wisdom behind that advice, God also came and added some more to it. Look at Numbers chapter 11, verse 16 to 17. Numbers 11, 16 to 17. Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather before me 70 men who are recognized as elders and leaders of Israel. Bring them to the tabernacle to stand there with you. I will come down and talk to you there. And I will take some of the spirit that is upon you. And I will put the spirit upon them also. They will bear the burden of the people along with you. So you will not have to carry it alone. So this was, if you like, an endorsement 
or another dimension to the advice that Jethro had given to Moses. And God was, as it were, saying to Moses that you still have too much to do. So you need 70 elders and and pass on some of these responsibilities to them so that they will bear the burden of the people with you. The mountain experience, therefore, ladies and gentlemen, was a period when God organized them. They were organized. The different tribes were organized. In fact, even the tabernacle, when it was built, there were places that each of the different tribes were supposed to position themselves. So it was a period of organization and it brought a lot of order to what was going on. The mountain experience, ladies and gentlemen, is therefore a period of organization. Four things we have identified with the mountain experience. Number one, the mountain experience was a period of instructions and learning. Do you have that? What's the second one? The mountain experience was a period of adhering, building. Number three. The mountain experience was a period of training. And then number four, the mountain experience was a period of organization. Amen. So if you ask me and say, Papa Osofo, what were they doing there for one year? This was what they were doing for one year. And it was all to get them organized and ready to enter into the promised land. Hallelujah. If I am to summarize all that they did during the mountain experience, I will say that the mountain experience was a period of preparation. It was a period of preparation. So the mountain experience is a period of preparation hallelujah and that ladies and gentlemen is what your mountain experience is supposed to achieve before you get to where god wants you to get to before you accomplish what god has set out for you before you get to a place of progress and advancement in your life God is necessarily going to take you through a mountain experience. And that mountain experience is a period of preparation. To prepare something means to make it ready. To make it ready. And so your mountain experience is a period that God uses you. Or a period that God uses to prepare you. For what he has in store for you. If you ask me what is my mountain experience supposed to achieve. It is supposed to prepare me. So that when I enter into my blessing. When I enter into my breakthrough. When I begin to progress and advance in life. I will be able to stay in my blessing properly. Somebody say my mountain experience. Is a period of preparation. Proverbs 21 verse 31. Proverbs 21 verse 31. It says the horse is prepared for the day of battle. (laughs) 
And it is the battle that belongs to the Lord, not the battery. If you hear anybody saying the battery belongs to the Lord, please know that we are, we are, we are, there's a problem somewhere. The battery does not belong to the Lord. It is the battle that belongs to him. Hallelujah. The horse is prepared for the day of battery. Excuse me. For the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. The victory belongs to the Lord. Hallelujah. Listen to me. The fact that the victory belongs to the Lord does not mean that preparation is not important. Somebody say, Pastor, you are saying something. Should I say it again? The fact that the battle belongs to the Lord does not mean that preparation is not necessary. And this is the problem with a lot of Christians. A lot of Christians who do this nyamibeye, nyamibeye thing and over-spiritualize evil turn. They over-spiritualize it. And so you are a student in school. Instead of putting your backside down and learning and studying and burning the midnight candle, you go to the school field and you go and pray all night. Oh God, oh God, the battery belongs to you. The battery belongs to you. The victory belongs to you. Oh God, give me the victory. Let me pass the exams. I see it. Four is, four is, four is, four is. Kamataya, batakata, four is. Hey, stop that rough day. You think that that's how we get four is? Then they go and bind their teachers, bind the examiners, bind the lecturers. Father, when he's marking my script, even where I have made a mistake, may the mighty hand of God come upon him and may the power of the Holy Spirit descend upon him. Where he's getting ready to mark me wrong, through a divine intervention of God, may he mark me correct. I claim it in the name of Jesus. Hey! I said, stop that rough there. That's not how it works out. The victory, it is true, belongs to the Lord. But it is yours to prepare so that God will have something to bring, to stand upon, to bring you the victory. That's how it works out. If you think that your prosperity is going to come by lazing around and not finding anything to do, please think twice. Let's be serious. And let's stop these games. You got to find work to do. And the work that you find to do, you got to work very hard. You can't dodge it. You can't pray certain blessings into existence and you think that it's going to work out by you avoiding certain things. It doesn't work out. 
there are preparations that you have to go through. And part of the preparations have to do with hard work that you have to perform. So your mountain experience is a period of preparation. I I stumbled upon some powerful quotes on preparation. One of the quotes I saw, it says this. That failing to prepare is preparing to fail. When you fail to prepare, what it actually means is that you are preparing to fail. This was said by a gentleman called John Wooden, an American basketball coach. Another coach that I saw, and this one is by a gentleman called Robert Schuller, who was an American tele-evangelist and author. He says, spectacular achievement is always preceded by unspectacular preparation. I'll say that again. You think about it. Spectacular achievement is always preceded by unspectacular preparation. What is he saying? When you see somebody doing something that is working, that is very nice, that that causes you to look in amazement, understand that behind that thing that you are looking at, which is looking so nice, was a period when he had to prepare and was doing things that were not spectacular. Yes. Great achievements do not just happen in an instant. There are things that you have to do behind the scenes. When you are eating food and the food is nice, don't think as you are eating it and you are licking your fingers and some of you when you are eating fufu and soup, you can lick And I don't know what, what type of tongue God has given to you. How can your tongue reach your abotcher or your abotcher? How? How is it possible? You lick and lick as you are enjoying the food. You, you, look, there were lots of things that went on behind the scenes. A lot of things. And those things were not spectacular. As you are enjoying the food, so much has gone. The preparation before you can get that nice thing to eat. That's why for us as husbands, anything that we are served, we should appreciate the fact that a lot of preparation went into it. We should thank them. So I'm standing here on behalf of all husbands to say thank you wives for all the food you cooked for us including the burnt offerings that you served us with because you were treating us as gods. Thank you. Clap for our wives, our mothers, our sisters. Hallelujah. So spectacular achievement is always preceded by unspectacular preparation. It's another quote. And I like this one. So this one was by Colin Powell, who was the former United States Secretary of State under the George Bush administration. He said, there are no secrets to success. (laughs) He says, there are no secrets to success. 
Success is the result of preparation, hard work, and learning from failure. You know, sometimes you hear people say, I want to know the secret of your success. I want to know the secret. He said that there are no secrets to anybody's success. The reasons for the success are obvious. Number one, preparation. Number two, hard work. Number three, learning from your failures. If you see anybody who has succeeded in this life, these are the reasons why the person has succeeded. It is very rare to find somebody who was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. I just say, yeah, one who are you did that? And even that one, if you are also not wise, that blessing that you have, you will waste it completely. But the truth is this, that anybody who succeeds in this life, it is because the person has prepared well. It is because the person has put in a lot of hard work. And it also means that the person has learned a lot from his failures or from his mistakes. That's why you should never allow your failures and your mistakes to keep you down. I told you last week that that thing called failure is not just the falling down. It's not about the falling down. It's about the staying down. And Colin Powell is saying that there are no secrets to success. It is as a result of preparation, hard work, and learning from failure. So I am pointing this out to you. That this year, will be your year of progress and it will be your year of advancement but before you experience the progress and advancement in your life God is going to take you through your mountain experience and that mountain experience is a period of preparation for you so learn your lessons well don't miss out on this mountain experience don't get so upset because of some of the things you are going through now because they are preparing you for a better future. Can I have an amen from somebody? Always believe that all things actually work together for your good. If you love the Lord and if you are the called according to his purpose, everything works together for your good. So there are things that you must necessarily go through. Every single one of those experiences, without exception, are preparing you, including the most painful ones. Two things will prepare you. And there are two things that you are going to see during your mountain experience moments. Two things that will prepare you. Number one, opportunities. Opportunities. God prepares us by giving us opportunities. By giving us a chance to do something. To, ex- to, to try out something. And so, do not waste your opportunities. If your parents sent you to school, it was an opportunity. And now you must ask yourself, did I utilize it properly or I blew it? It was an opportunity. Why do you think that we spend so much money to send our children to school? 
it is because we know that it is preparation for them. That if we are able to give them a good education, it will prepare them and set them up for a good life. All things being equal. Although all things are usually not equal. There are times when you invest in, 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 in your children and things don't play out in a certain way. But it doesn't mean that that investment in their education and their future is a bad thing. It's just that you had bad luck. <laughs> the other day, I heard somebody say he went to introduce his son to his pastor and said, meet my son. And then he said something to the pastor that I sent my son to medical school and he didn't finish. And today he's a pastor. And just to console himself, he said, I think that that is also good. But he was saying something. I invested a lot in his education. That he should go to medical school. And he came out and said that I want to be a pastor. This was just something I heard yesterday. So don't let your mind go very far. Is there anything wrong with being a pastor? Not at all. Because that's who I am. Me too. You see, that's the thing why you shouldn't point fingers. Because so. as you are doing that, you see, when you point your finger like this, how many fingers are pointing in your direction? At least three. The thumb, unless you're, there's a problem with your thumb, but the other three fingers will point in your direction. So you always have to be very careful. Me too! They sent me to school to go and do electrical engineering. Then I came back. No, but my own is better because, oh let me explain because my own I finished and I did well then I decided that this is what I want to do with my life is my own not better? clap for me now true. education is an opportunity to prepare you for your life ahead so for those of you who are still in school Don't blow it. Don't. Work very hard. Learn hard. It's not easy in school. It is not easy. Sometimes it can feel like something bad that is happening to you. But it's necessary for what God wants to do in your life. So don't blow that opportunity. Because God uses that to prepare you. There are times when you receive, you would have opportunities to help people. To do something for people. Don't blow that opportunity. And those of you who don't want to do anything for anybody unless they pay you. It tells me something about yourself. That you are not very discerning. It is not everything you should collect money for. Or it is not everything you should demand money for. 
Because there are certain opportunities that will come your way for you to do something for somebody. And that thing is actually going to open a major door for you. So sometimes the opportunity that God will bring your way is a door of service. A door of service. Anytime you have an opportunity to do something for somebody and it is in your power to do it, don't waste it. Don't immediately start calculating what can I get from this? (laughs) Don't do that. And if you work for somebody, my advice to you is that work well. Don't do lassie lassie. (laughs) Don't do eye service. If my boss is there, I work hard. If my boss is not there, it shows that there's something wrong with you. Wherever you work, whoever you work for, even if your boss is the devil himself, work very hard. Let me show you a scripture in Colossians chapter 3. Am I preaching to somebody at all? I've told you that it's going to be a year of progress and advancement. But there are things you need to know. There are things you need to grasp. There are things you need to understand. Because progress and advancement are built on a certain foundation of preparation. Colossians chapter 3, verse 22 to 24, the message Bible. Colossians 3, 22 to 24, the message. Servants. You can put their employees. Do what you are told by your earthly masters or your bosses. And don't just do the minimum that will get you by. What it means is that you just just find somewhere to sit. He said, don't do that. Then notice what he says. He says, do your best. Tell the person sitting by you, do your best. Tell another person, do your best. Tell another person, stop the lassie, lassie. Stop the aquadro. As the person, by the way, do you know what aquadro is? What is aquadro? What's aquadro? Laziness. Tell another person, it looks like the pastor has found your problem. He says, do your best. Work from the heart for your real master. For God. Confident that you will get paid in full when you come into your inheritance. Keep in mind always that the ultimate master you are serving is Christ. This should guide each and every one of us in whatever work we are doing. It must be done as unto the Lord. And don't come to me and say, you you doesn't know my boss. You doesn't know my boss. He's a very wicked fellow. Very unreasonable. Did somebody say Chinese one? Whether Chinese man or whether Indian man or 
whether Lebanese man or whether Ghanaian or whether Nigerian or whoever you work for, do it as unto the Lord because it is part of your preparation. It is part of your preparation. I'm giving you a wisdom key. And if you do, if you can't apply this wisdom key to your life, don't waste your time going anywhere for anybody to pray for you and to deliver you from what? There is nothing to deliver you from. Have you seen the way the hair here is finishing? Yeah. You can see hands have been laid on you and some of you go to places where feet are also laid on you in addition. I am asking you what change has it made to your life? What difference has it made to your life? What difference? It is not having anybody lay hands on you and break uh, this and that and look, generational cases are real. There are altars that must be broken. But it is not everything that has to do with a generational case. It is not everything that has to do with an altar that has been erected in your family that you have to go and pull down. For some of us, the problem is the laziness. <laughs> For some of us, the problem is not recognizing opportunities when they come our way. So we blow every opportunity. Anytime I talk about this, I'm reminded of a lady who used to be a, a house help. She was a maid servant to a couple friends of mine. Now, this couple hosted somebody from Switzerland. And it was this house help who took care of the visitor. Now, she did it so well, always with a good attitude, always with a smile on her face, that the guy took notice of her. And before he left, he told the couple, Charlie, this is your, 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 your girl. No? I'm so impressed with her. I, I like. I like him. Is that not so? He said, I like him. They said, what do you mean? He said, I said, I like him. I said, you like him in what way? He said, I won't marry him. As I speak to you today, he's married her and she's living in Geneva. She didn't go to the school that you went to. The farthest you have been is Twabodom. With the lack of education and everything, she's living in one of the richest countries in the world. And she's done well. Why? She had opportunity to do something for somebody. She did it well and God opened a door for her. May God open a major door for you this year. In the name of Jesus. Then the other thing that will prepare you are experiences. The first one, opportunities. The other one, experiences. Your mountain experience is a period of preparation. And what you would encounter during this mountain experience are opportunities and experiences. Experiences have to do with what you go through. They may be good, they may be bad. But God has a way of using all those experiences to prepare you for what lies ahead. So don't waste your experiences. 
don't waste them. There are experiences that will come your way. Don't blow them. Don't throw them away. Because God is using them to prepare you. Including the things that make you cry. The things that made you cry. Don't waste them. Don't waste your tears. Don't waste them. Let the things that made you cry make you resolve that I will not go through this thing again to ever, ever have to shed such tears again in my life. So whether the experiences are good, whether the experiences are bad, believe that God uses them to prepare you. So you always need to think in that way. A classic example of somebody whom God really prepared to become a great person through the opportunities he had, through the, through the experiences that came his way was David in the Bible. Do a Bible study on David. Today I want to bring the, my series to an end so I can't go into all of that. But David... We wouldn't need to argue about David and how successful he became. It's obvious. He's one of the greatest people who ever lived. And Jesus Christ, our Savior, came from his line. But David, what was his story? He was a shepherd boy. The last son of his parents' eight children. And as a young boy, he was given a responsibility of taking care of his father's sheep in the wilderness. The sheep were not a lot. How do I know? Because one of the days when he went to the battlefield, when Goliath rose up against them, and he was talking to some of the soldiers, his elder brother retorted, that what are you doing here? You are too known, you are too known. Then he said to him, with whom have you left those few sheep? So the sheep were not a lot. Which is a lesson for all of us. Don't wait till you have something mega in your hand before you take it seriously. Even when it is small. Even when it is small, handle it well. Treat it as a jewel. Because when you learn to handle small things, you will receive the experience to handle big things. he was taking care of his father's sheep and he himself recounted how he laid he put his life on the line for the sheep he fought bear he fought a lion just to save his sheep as he was taking care of them little did he know that heaven had taken notice of him God was looking for somebody to be king instead of Saul and God sent Samuel, go to the house of Jesse. I want you to go and anoint one of his sons to be king instead of Saul. He's the one I like. He's the one God described as the man after my own heart. Not the perfect guy. But God likes him. And God has a right to like who he likes. Don't you like who you like? Don't you have preferences? It's your choice. 
But I just say that one of the reasons why God liked him was because of the attitude with which he took care of me. So God said that my people are like sheep to me. The way this guy is taking care of his father's sheep, he will take very good care of my people. I want him to be king. He had an opportunity to take care of his father's sheep and he took very good care of them. It made a way for him. When he was in the wilderness taking care of the sheep, he sharpened his musical skills. What skills do you have? What gifts do you have? What abilities do you have? What are you doing with them? David sharpened his musical skills. So as he was there, whilst the sheep were grazing, he would be rehearsing on his harp. As the deep pandeth for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. You alone had my heart's desire and I long to worship you. Play, play, play. Little did he know that the king was going to be oppressed by a demon. The only thing that would bring relief was for somebody like him to come and play the harp. So one day, the king's problem came. And they had told him that the only thing that will solve this problem is for somebody to come, somebody who is anointed to come and play anointed music and you'll be delivered from this problem. And they told him that there is a guy. There is a guy. He's a little boy. But he's good at what he does. Let's invite him. And when he came, it worked powerfully. And the king said to his father, please let the boy stay with me. But what David didn't know that during the period that he was staying with the king, he was learning how to become king. Because he was a bush boy. And he had to be refined. That some of the experiences that we go through that are supposed to refine us for something great that God wants to do in our life. Which means that as we are pouring you, sorry, as we are trying to refine you, we are trying to make a gentleman out of you, a lady out of you. Don't fight with us. Some of you, we've been teaching you how to use fork and knife for some time now. Where you will say, where they are wasting an opportunity. Because one day they are going to invite you to sit with an important person at table. Send me away so knife no more cry. I said, Woko kum ninchi. Because when we're teaching, you didn't learn it. You see your face. You see your face. You see your face. He was sharpening his skills. Another thing that he did in the wilderness. Look, I'll take a little bit of your time. I beg you. Another thing that he did when he was there in the wilderness. During his mountain experience. He learned how to use the sling 
A sling is a catapult. That's what it is. A tie. Tie. Sign your friend tie. What I say. He learned how to use it. So for hours, I can imagine. He's setting a target on top of a rock. Then you take his catapult and aim or tie and aim. Try to hit the, 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 the stone or the stick. He did that thing uh, until he became an expert and very skillful at it. He didn't know that he was going to meet a Goliath. And that skill all that thing that he was doing was preparing him for that battle which he won. So skillful did he become at it that he didn't need to throw two stones, just one. When you see Goliath ask him for me, what hit him? He couldn't believe it. But all that time that he was practicing with his sling, God was Later on in his life, he had to run away from Saul. He had to go and hide in the cave of Adullam in the wilderness. And his family came to him there. Then all those who had problems and issues, they came to him. At the point, he had 400 people. He didn't know that that period was training him to become a survivor. An overcomer. A great warrior. Because the things that you go through, your persecutions, your trials, your difficult experiences, they have a way of preparing you. They do. Including the things that make you cry. They have a way of preparing you. That's what I'm saying to you. That don't waste all of those things. Because out of all of those things, something good can come out. So whilst he was hiding, jumping from cave to cave, doing hide and seek with Saul and his soldiers, he was learning how to survive. He was learning how to endure. He was learning how to be an overcomer and he learned it well. And it was during his time that he got victory over all the nations around him. And that is when they finally had peace. Because he learned how to fight and he learned how to be on it was painful for him to have to run out of town and go and hide as a fugitive in the in the in the wilderness but it served the purpose so your painful experiences don't waste them how many of you have scars you know what a scar is a scar is you had a wound and then it healed and it is there you can see it there are some scars that you will never forget how you earned them and there are some scars that we are ashamed of somebody is showing her friend her scar some of our scars we hide them some of you sister the reason why you don't wear a shorter skirt is because of the scar that you have. But you see, 
don't let those cars keep you down and under and always intimidate you. Because your scar is evidence that you survived. You survived. There are many people who never recover from their pain and from their hurt. It's one of the problems with diabetics. That's why if you are diabetic, you always try to take pains to ensure that you don't get a sore. And if you get one, you try and deal with it emphatically because if you don't, it can, it can kill you. And I know what I'm talking about. It starts off at something small, but it doesn't heal. So anytime you look at your scar, it's a sign that you survived something. Something that you possibly may not have survived from. You survived it. And you are standing here. All because he made a way. Why do you think that Jesus still has his cars? It's been more than 2,000 years ago. But there's cars in his hands. There's cars in his feet. There's cars on his body. In his side. They're still there. And there's a reason why they are there. Because they give him a certain identity as the savior. You can't come to me and say you are Jesus when I can't see those cars. That's what it is with some of the things you go through. They are actually evidence of what you have been through, what you have survived, what you've been able to overcome. Don't keep dwelling on the pain of the situation when you were going through it. But always tell yourself that I made it. I made it. I survived. I'm still standing here. They thought I would be down and under. But I'm still standing here. I'm not buried. I'm not lying in my grave. It's not over for me. I am still standing here. May God cause you to survive any painful experience that you've been through it. It is part of your mounting experience. And it's preparing you for the great things that lie ahead. This year, by the grace of God, you will progress and you will advance. And your mounting experience will prepare you well for the great things that await you. Rise to your feet and let us close, family. Thank you, Jesus. Every head bowed and every eye closed. This morning, I want to give you an opportunity to surrender your life to Jesus. I want to ask you, are you born again? Have you given your heart to Jesus? Have you allowed him to take control of your life, of everything to do with you? 
because he's the one you need to make you do well and to make you survive. And today I want to pray with you. You want to say, Pastor, can you pray with me? I want to give my heart to Jesus. I want to receive him as my Lord and Savior. As every head is bowed and every eye closed, you want to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, wherever you are, can you lift up your right hand, including those of you who are watching me? You want to give your heart to Jesus? Just lift up your right hand and I'm going to pray for you. Thank you, Jesus. God bless you. God bless you. Now, say this prayer with me. Say, Heavenly Father, today I come to you just as I am. I realize that I'm a sinner. Please forgive me for all my sins. Please wash me with the blood of Jesus. From today, I will serve you and I will live for you. Please write my name in the book of life. Thank you, Father, for hearing my prayer. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you for listening to The Shepherd's Voice with Pastor Johnny Awanyo. We do hope that you were greatly blessed. For further inquiries, please call, WhatsApp, or send an SMS text to plus 233-243-886-622. God bless you.